it's not just that you acknowledge that other stakeholder groups exist. What we're talking about in the book is you acknowledge and you understand what your impact is on them. It's not about what perception they have of you, of your brand. That's not the point of society as a stakeholder. The point is, do you understand what impact you're having on people and on the planet? You are listening to The Realtors Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that was Elaine Grunewald, founder of the AI Sustainability Center and co-author of Sustainability, a Swedish approach to transforming your company, your industry, and the world. And in today's episode, I ask Grunewald how to bake the Swedish sauce into your company. What are the risks and opportunities of sustainability and can impact be exponential. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the real Elaine Grunwald. Enjoy. Sounds good. All right, here we go. In three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Realtors Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Elaine Grunwald. Uh, co-author of Sustainability Leadership, a Swedish approach to transforming your company, your industry, and the world. Elaine, thanks for being with us today. Great to be here, finally. So folks just listening to this, um, we just had Henrik on the show, and we talked a lot about purpose-driven leadership, how that can manifest throughout your value chain. We ended with Customers, though, kind of what are some things you, you and your customers can do? What's your relationship with uh, Scania and how are you working with their customers to build a more uh, sustainable world? So Henrik and I um, met during my time at when I was at Ericsson, which is um, telecom, something totally different than trucks. So um and some we we write in the book, it's kind of a joke we have. We write in the book about, um, and Henrik talked about it a few minutes ago, about unconventional partnerships. And we together writing this book, people ask us all the time, how did you two get together? Elaine, you know, I've been working in more with the tech sector for the last 20 years. And Henrik coming from the, the transportation and trucking side of it. So, um, but we you know, just had some mutual contacts and started talking about this topic and about the lack of action and trying to create more of a sense of urgency within companies. And that was kind of where that was our common thread. Like we both knew that the private sector, I mean, Henrik said a few minutes ago about, you know, the hundred largest entities in the world, you know, two thirds of them are companies. So, we want to see, and, and I've had the privilege of working with some of the most amazing leaders who are galvanized on this topic. We want to see more people like that. So we thought, well, in the book, we, we talk a lot about the importance of leadership and using, you know, encouraging leaders to use their own personal influencing platforms. And so we decided to use ours in the book. So that's a little bit the backstory on on how we came together. What was the process like in terms of writing this book? I mean, I, having a podcast with two people on is hard enough. I mean, you wrote a book. 
uh, with Simon yeah, Kinsley. I mean, How I think go? when it came to like the content and and the vision, we were a hundred percent aligned. But then when it came to you know, we present a model in the book, um, a model that we think any leader anywhere could use in starting or continuing or strengthening strengthening their own sustainability journey. So when it came to that, we really had to, you know, buckle down on and, and to get that right. And I, I think we succeeded. But I, I was we were talking the other day about, you know, now we're coming into the holiday season. I remember last Christmas we were writing every day, all day, um, you know, trying to work during times that didn't interfere with like the normal work day. And we had, we were in like, it was after New Year's, it was kind of the middle of January, but things hadn't kicked in yet. And we were like ripping up chapters and throwing them out. <laughs> so um, yeah, we, we had a, a great um, copywriter and support that helped, helped us pull it all together, Amy. But um but yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to take ideas, some of which are your own, some of which are someone else's, and then try to get a common red thread. But I think I think we we figured out how to do that. So, Lynn, you met and researched with a lot of CEOs uh, who are impact leaders, sustainability officers. Uh, maybe walk us through your discoveries uh, through writing this book and how you think the Swedish approach can manifest in today's day and age? Well, I, I would say the biggest discovery for me in the book was how much I learned. Sometimes you think you know something or you could be a subject matter expert on a topic and then you start talking. I mean, we we had right. such a range of um, sectors that we interviewed and, and that was deliberate. Um, we, we interviewed startups. You know, Stockholm has a great, very vibrant startup scene. We wanted to capture the startup voice the scale up voice all the way to the large industrialists. I mean, there's a lot of Swedish companies that are very old, hundred plus years. So we wanted to capture that that whole realm and also have have different sectors. So we interviewed Christian, the CEO of EQT, working with you know private equity and venture and using sustainable development goals as a lens for their impact. We interviewed Jonas Samuelson, the CEO of Electrolux. And how they've been successful with their um, green product range, delivering higher margins and returns than their like conventional products. We talked to um, Eva Carlson, the CEO of Houdini. So most people think like that sustainable fashion is all about Patagonia. Well, those are the people that haven't met Houdini yet. <laughs> and that's a Swedish um, Swedish brand that has fully integrated the planetary boundaries, um, which were um a science-based approach. Um, Johan Rockström wrote the foreword for our book. He was very um, involved in, in creating what's known as the planetary boundaries. And Eva made that her business plan, basically. And yeah, and, and I mean, I could go on, the list goes on. But so just talking to these people and these leaders about their business and thinking, when we started the the whole project with the book, we originally were going to have like a really global approach and and find leaders in China and India and all over the world. But, um, you know, that became so big that I don't know if we ever would have finished the book. So we said, let's keep to Sweden because Sweden's what we know. It's where we have our network, um, professional network, and where we think Sweden is 
is really what we say in the book, punching above its weight when it comes to sustainability. And that turned out to be very lucky because, you know, shortly thereafter, COVID became a reality and nobody could travel anyway. So so we we scoped it around Sweden and tried to capture like the essence of what Sweden is doing when it comes to sustainability in the private sector. It, you know, it seems like all these Swedish leaders have that purpose driven you know, mentality in common. Like with Eva, with Houdini, I, when I was watching the interview with her, it was like, wow, this is very similar to what Patagonia was saying with biomimicry and making sure that, you know, when they ran into a constraint, like the cotton suppliers that were putting dyes into the waste streams that were, you know, very detrimental to the ecosystems in those areas, they had to innovate around that constraint. And it seems like all of these business leaders in Sweden have been able to make that their business model. So could you explain to our audience, you know, what that means and how you can actually make more money maybe in the long term and that it's not necessarily a trade-off when you're investing more into your stakeholders? I think the really interesting thing in Sweden for me, you know, I'm from the U.S. originally, a lot of people think I'm Swedish sometimes, but with my name, but, um, and Henrik obviously being Swedish. And then, you know, so we always had this, um, dilemma between us about Swedes are very humble. They're not bragging. They're, they're like really not the big proponents out there, but you could see on every ranking in the world, basically, whether that's diversity, whether it's environmental leadership, like whatever indicator you pick. I mean, Sweden is ranking high up there. The Nordics are ranking high up there and Sweden is ranking very high up there by all counts. But I think, you know, there's a couple of things here that make Sweden unique when it comes to sustainability. One is a a very clear commitment to long-term thinking. So, um, and inclusive growth. So a lot of Swedish society, you know, the educational system is free, healthcare is free, you have um, less um, radical disparity in in wealth uh, distribution, Um, you have a very high appreciation to nature with so much water and forests and everything. Uh, so I think, and, and what always struck me is that whether you're government, academic, academia, uh, in a company, sustainability is always high on the agenda. It's always prioritized. It's not the same deb- debate as in other parts of the world where it's like, is it sustainability or not? Or is it growth or sustainability? It's, it's kind of not in conflict in that way. It's, it can be both. And, and that's what Henrik was saying is that we don't have a sustainability plan. It's just we are sustainable in every facet that we do. Now, do you yeah. think that because of COVID, like, like here in San Diego, California, like everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people are moving out of the city. Uh, I took up surfing. Most of the people that are going into the outdoors now are doing that because they can't go and have the social life inside the city. In your book, in your argument, one of the first couple of pages, you claim, you know, a uh, high population density in these dense cities are a contributor to, you know, environmental climate change. How do you think 
people will change in terms of uh, their careers and uh, where they live and how that will impact and maybe even accelerate uh, this this purpose driven business movement? Well, there's so many things to say there. I would say first, like what COVID did is only enhance the fact that we have a planetary emergency. You know, you could look at climate change, you can look at deforestation, you can look at biodiversity loss, and now you can look at human health caused through, you know, a global pandemic. So, um, so I think that the, the reality of um, the challenges we're facing are, are even more um, in your face, you could mm-hmm. say, because of COVID. Um, and, and I think that I, I was just reading the other day, yesterday, I think about, you know, asset managers and in, in the financial sector now seven trillion dollars in assets are now committing to look at climate risks and you know so we're we're in the middle of a really interesting sea of change when it comes to i think corporate behavior and sustainability and commitments and i think it's becoming much more real now probably because we're um faced with such a great threat um and one thing we talk a lot about in the book is, you know, you can't solve. So these problems are existential, they're mm. exponential, and you can't solve an exponential problem with an incremental solution. So it's great that companies are, you know, starting to set sustainability targets and measure things and, and do all that. But but that's not really enough. That's kind of the starting point. Just because you produce a sustainability report it's not a get out of jail free card. You should do that anyway. So, so that for me is like getting the basics in place. And this is going back to the three phase model um, that I can explain if, if you would like. But yeah, please. so that's like, yeah. So, so, so getting that reporting in place, you're expected to do that today. That's not the leadership move. I mean, a leadership move is finding the exponential solutions that's the leap in the book so the so the book we have these three phases of of what we call our sustainability leadership model the first phase is the foundation it's getting the basics in place it's understanding you know what rules are you going to follow what policies what codes of ethics um what's your Henrik touched on it at the end, you know, what is your purpose? Are you purpose driven? What's the culture in your company? So this is all like phase one, getting these things in place. And why I say this, because everyone wants to go to phase three, but you can't do phase three unless you've done one Mm. or two. So I'm I'm going sequentially here, but phase two is about the core business. And Henrik talked about that too, about, you know, getting the sales working, um, he taught me one thing or one line that I always remember, which is if you're not selling, if your sustainable solution isn't selling, it's not real. Right. It's marketing, you know. So um, so phase two is about the core business, like getting sustainability criteria integrated into your portfolio and taking that throughout your value chain all the way to the sales side of things. So that's the first two phases. Phase three is the leap. And this is really where I think um, individual leadership comes in, because if you, you know, leadership starts at the top, you can also build bottom up, nothing wrong with that, because there's a lot of people in companies that want to make a change. But if you can't get, you know, the, the leadership question right, it will also never happen. So 
a lot about, you know, what we write about is both as a leader, the responsibility to act, but also the opportunity and um, in, in using the power of your leadership platform to get the change going. We also talk about other, you know, things in, in, in the leap or the third phase, you know, how like digitalization can be an accelerator. And, and that goes back to the question you asked about the way people work during COVID. I think that if COVID had happened, you know, even five years ago, we'd all be in a very different place because the virtual meetings and everything that we can do today, you know, wouldn't have been possible probably in the same way, even just a few years ago. So, um, yeah, I'll pause there. Well, when you talk about lenses, like a planetary lens, uh, maybe could you unpack that a little bit more for our audience? Because I think it's a really important point. For instance, when I hear impact investors or just investors in general talk about ESG, they say that, and people have their own thoughts about ESG, but they say that's a, a risk lens uh, for them. It means it's good management or good leadership in the company. What do you mean specifically by putting on goggles and having a planetary or societal lens? So this goes back to the concept of society as a stakeholder, which is, I would say, very rooted again in like Swedish values and culture and way of thinking. But um, but in our book, what we mean is that, and you, you talked about the, the 1970 Friedman quote, the purpose yes. of the company is to make money and all that. But so you could look at things like um, the business roundtable, right? So they came out with their statement that says, um, it's not just the shareholder, there's other stakeholders. Okay, that's good, but that didn't really do it for me because what mm. we're talking about in the book, it's not just that you acknowledge that other stakeholder groups exist. What we're talking about in the book is you acknowledge and you understand what your impact is on them. It's not about what perception they have of you, of your brand. That's not the point of society of us as a stakeholder. The point is, do you understand what impact you're having on people? And on the planet. And that's where these ideas of the lenses come in. And, and I would say like the sustainable development goals, um, the 17 sustainable development goals, these are like a perfect framework for any company to try to understand where they have an impact, right? You have, you have the world's greatest sustainable development challenges, all researched, all mapped out for you. And you just have to figure out what impact is your business causing in relation to them. So that's a great framework. Um, but yeah, so we talk about how to have a societal lens and how to have the planetary lens. Um, and But the key to it, Kevin, is not just that you say, okay, there's others than the shareholders. We have customers, we have employees. That's not the point. The point is the impact. What's the impact of what you're doing on other groups? Absolutely. And I think it's, it's just... It's very inspiring to hear that businesses are taking this into account, taking it into account. What does that mean? OK, well, what about profitability? Let's talk about our lefts and our rights, our debts and our credits. We have a whole system to measure and be accountable for what we're purchasing or what we're liable for. Now, for impact, what are you seeing in terms of how robust this measurement system is? Are we going to have a clear cut measurement system such as your P&L? Um, or an accounting sheet, like what are you seeing that's out there right now? And, and maybe what are you hopeful for? 
Well, I'll start by saying I'm super hopeful because there's so much out there. I mean, if you look, you made the comment about ESG. I think I remember, you know, during my time in Ericsson and meeting so many um, socially responsible investors or ESG investors for years and years. It was always just about risk. Um, you know, are there corruption risks? Are there human rights risks? Are there supply chain risks? It was risk, 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 risk. And there wasn't a lot of opportunity for a company to make the case like, yeah, well, we're handling those risks, but look at the sustainability opportunities. Look at how, um, you know, what we could save by being more energy efficient on telecom networks, for example. So, so I think what's happening now and that was always my approach as a chief sustainability officer. It was always to balance the risk with the opportunity and find the metrics to do that. And I think a lot of companies have struggled to really find what are the most material indicators to track. Um, it's it's very hard to, you know, a, a concept like science-based targets, which I am highly supportive of, you know, in the climate change discussion it's not that easy to explain to a CEO or an executive team, what's a science-based target and why the hell should we be reporting on that? You know? So, um, so I think there's a lot of progress in the actual indicators that are being developed. I think there's a lot of progress because ESG is no longer just risk. It, the risk is still there and it is still about how well your company is governed and do you do the right things, not just say the right things, but there's also a lot of more opportunity focused discussion taking place and a lot of investment now shifting into um, sustainable technologies. I mean, look at every fund, everything out there today, everything is is focusing on on sustainability. And I think that's really, really exciting. So AI sustainability, what is AI's role in this transformation and development? Yeah, so I, I spent, you know, many, many years um, in Ericsson working on a platform called Technology for Good. And, and that, that was basically about showing what the benefits that connectivity could bring, broadband in particular, whether and, and take the SDGs again, like how connectivity can be a powerful and enabler and a driver of all the sustainable development goals. And, um, and then a couple of years ago, when I, when I left Ericsson, I started, you know, digging deeper into the questions around um, AI is great. And, and not just when we were talking about broadband back in the day as an accelerator of the SDGs, I mean, AI is like a turbo charter. I mean, you can, you get, exponential opportunities from a company point of view you look at new revenue streams new relationships with your clients that you can get through data um, and also you know you can save dramatic cost savings to things like automation but i wanted to understand the other what's the other side of the coin because there was after cambridge analytica and a number of events you know like that that happened over the last years what does AI mean when it comes to personal integrity, like things like privacy intrusion or um, amplification of discrimination and biases? I mean, every headline you read today, you can see more and more of these types of um, 
discrimination, all the different hiring systems, for example, that learn on the data. And then the data is a lot of male based and and women are um, dropped out of the equation through different, you know, AI algorithms or whatever. So I, so sustainable AI, it wasn't ever meant to be a term, you can say responsible AI, you can say ethical AI, it wasn't really meant to be like environmental sustainability Mm, in in that sense, but it's more the ethics and the responsibility of it because our lives are so controlled by, by data today that if we don't really start, and I mean, we collectively as consumers start to understand how our data is being used. I saw yesterday, Apple now is introducing this privacy uh, scorecard or, or like nutri- like a nutrition label, but for privacy, that is one of the most exciting things I've seen in a while. I haven't dug into it yet, but it's pretty cool. That's great. So, no, now, it, so you know how your data is tracked and how it's used. Um, that, that's the type of innovation we need to see now from, from companies in, in the responsible AI space. I hadn't heard that, but that is essentially what certified B corporations have done for the larger whole. They do these yeah. assessments and they provide a nutrition label for any consumer or stakeholder to see how ethically you know sourced your products mm. are or your governance or anything like that. Are you mission locked? Things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, Lent, I think you drew a nice comparison between you know the exponentiality of technology and impact itself and climate change itself. You say the carbon law versus Moore's law. Moore's law, transistors and computers, just for people listening out there, are supposed to like increase in speed by or like double in speed or have it in costs, right? Like every 18 to 24 months or like that type of period on a graph. How do you see like impact and and sustainability being exponential to go along with this Moore's law? And also, what what do you mean by the carbon law as well? Yeah, so we made a really um, fun equation in the book. We wrote our own formula for exponential impact. So, and it, it's like it, it it's like when you're counting CO two emissions, you can't really combine that with human rights impacts. Like everybody wants one golden number, right? Like everyone wants to say, am I sustainable or am I not? What's my one golden number? But you can't combine apples and oranges in that way. And so what we did is we, we said, well, what, what, what would you need to know um, to, to determine what, you know, what's your exponential impact? And we called the, our formula exponentiality with the Oh, with the two do- two dots, it's a play on the Swedish thing, yeah, exponentiality. So, um, so we said, first, you need to know your footprint and your own value proposition, getting back to the, the client and the customer part of it. So you know that. So this is like footprint plus value proposition. I never done this without showing it. So I'm going to like, see if I can do this in words. So footprint plus value proposition times your own ambition as a leader to the X factor. So ambition squared, cubed, you decide ambition to the X. And the X 
is the X factor. And that's up to you. And that's mm. up to every leader to decide what is their X factor going to be. And so this equation equals your exponentiality impact. So it was a fun way. I mean, we did talk to a few mathematical experts and it, okay, it's not a math. It was never meant to be <laughs> a mathematical formula. It's meant to be I mean, but it's a serious, I mean, we did it in a, as a serious formula. So it's like, what are the pieces, you know, if you want to have, whether it's carbon or, or whether, whatever you, you might be, you know, in aquaculture, raising salmon, you know, it, it could be about water. It could be about, you know, emissions to air, or it could be about carbon. So, but it's when you know those different parts of the formula, then you can start to talk about having an exponential impact. And the, I think the most important part of that formula for us was the ambition to the X factor, because most people think that, um, you know, or they're not encouraged or they, they think, yeah, okay, this is good enough. We have a sustainability plan, but they don't realize that if they really just turbocharge their own ambition, they can do so much more by using the power of their own platform. And, um, and that comes down, that is a question of leadership. It, it comes down to both responsibility, but also, you know, can you build a coalition of, of the willing that will follow you on, on the sustainability journey? So with the book, we just tried to you know, we create this model, we have this formula, and the whole idea of the book is like, what do we wish as leaders that someone gave us 15 years ago? You know, so we're sure. taking the book saying, here, you use one chapter, use all of it, use, you know, pick and choose and, and find out if something works for you. And then we tell that story, you know, through the companies that we interviewed. It, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like the more impact products, let's say you sell, the more money you receive, the more it goes back into those communities, uh, the more it goes back into research and development. It's just this continuous exponential cycle of impact. And what you're saying is the ambition from the leadership in the organizations, the people within the you know, the company, the employees, they really have to you know rev that those engines up on the ambition side to make it happen. To make it it's different. so much more important than people give it credit for. You know, yeah. a lot of companies just think like, if we have our sustainability goals, that's enough. It will happen on its own. No, I mean, you should be, we say leaders should be uh, evangelizing this every day, everywhere, every chance they, they get. So I remember working for many years with um, Hans Vestberg as, when he was CEO of Ericsson. Now he's at Verizon, but he... Every meeting he had, whether that was an investor meeting, a customer meeting, you know, a roadshow, whatever, an all all staff meeting, he would always put sustainability on the agenda. Mm -hmm. And you know, so it's it's really about having that message there, and then making sure that you're backing your messages with specific actions. Because if you don't, then of course that's when it falls apart and it will be seen as like greenwashing or, or whatever. But so, yeah, but so we, we say, yeah. yeah. Well, I get it. I get it in terms of the intentionality of that. Like that's impressive sustainability in every single meeting. 
just being intentional and, and having it always be, you know, in at least in the back of your minds or in the in the, the forefront of a meeting is so important uh, and, and really can, can make well, that change. I mean, in Verizon last year, I think it was also, I mean, we interviewed Hans in the book as well, even though he's technically not a Swedish company anymore, He's but he's still a Swede. But um, in, in the... Um, in the work at Verizon, you know, they have named society as a stakeholder officially, you know, in in all of their, you know, um, corporate material. You know, they, they have employees, they have the shareholder, they have the customer, and they've put society as they call it their fourth North Star, which is back to the conversation of society as a stakeholder, what? Um, I hope will be, you know, inspiration for other companies to do similar. Elaine, you've mentioned the sustainable development of goals a, a couple of times throughout this uh, episode. Now, the one thing I've come to understand about all these goals is how interconnected they are. So when you say the term impact, what exactly do you mean by that? Impact, I mean, could be um, what I, here's what I don't mean. I mean, like, and I, tried to give that example, like you can't combine all those 17 goals and say, here's my impact, like as it's one thing, because it's not, you know, they're also ranging from health and education to sustainable cities to climate action, you know, and, and peace and justice. So you have the 17 goals and they're all different. There are sets of indicators um, behind each goal, but what, what's very difficult for companies, those goals were written for governments, for nation states to to measure progress toward the achievement of the sustainable development agenda. So they weren't really written for like, you know, a sustainability officer or a CEO. So you have to, if you're going to use them as your framework, you have to know what they are and and be able to relate, you know, different goals to your business. So, and, and focus on the ones that matter. Um, so, so there, and I know there's a lot of work being done now by, um, different UN agencies to try to make them easier for businesses to relate to. But, um, I I think that's a challenge. So in the book, we, we have a whole chapter on this about how can you relate the SDGs or the global goals to a specific company. How would you define impact for someone who's listening to this for the first time and is hearing all, all of these words and, and says, well, what exactly is, is impact? Impact is what effect are, are you causing? Now I'm talking, of course, not in the financial sense or other sense of impact. I'm talking about sustainability impact. It's knowing what what are the material issues to you and your business and what effect are you having? If you're having, you know, a lot of air emissions, you know, you, you know, you would know you would have um, impacts on human health. And, you know, so you have to you have to follow it through. You have to decide. It's like doing, a, you know, um, a materiality assessment is is a if you're in the business of sustainability, that's one of the first things you have to know how to do, but it's basically going through your whole value chain and understanding where do you cause something that was intended or unintended and having, it's not enough to say anymore, 
I worked with business and human rights issues for many, many years. And, and going back 20 or 30 years, you could say, oh, sorry, we didn't know. These days, you can't say as a global responsible or local responsible company, you can't say we didn't know what your impact, you're expected to know. And that's the way the law is evolving as well. So it's no longer acceptable to say, you know, sorry, we didn't know smoking kills. It's the only industry that kills 50% of its customers, kills them. You know, so you can't say you didn't know anymore. Today, you're expected. If you're a responsible leader, you must know, or at least try to know and chase down as much information as you can. Elaine, uh, like the episode with Henrik, uh, this all boils down to leadership, you know, at the end of the day. And, and transforming that leadership is a big, integral part of this book. How can we influence today's impact leaders to make a change today? So let's bring this home, Elaine. What is your definition of a real leader? I think a real leader is someone who dares to take a stand on an issue, whether or not it's the most popular issue um, of the day. But but using responsibility, um, empathy, humility, and um, and daring to, yeah, to take to stand up for issues that are important, and then as I, you know, said earlier, knowing that your own individual platform is important and that it matters, and daring to use it, that to me is a good definition of a sustainability leader, at least. Elaine, amazing. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to have you stick around uh, for some questions. I saw a few questions uh, flying in here. Folks, if you're listening to this on Crowdcast, please type your questions in uh, for Elaine and we'll see if Henrik's still available uh, to to have them answered after the show. But for Elaine uh, Grunwald, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there. Be daringly responsible. <laughs> and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Elaine. Thanks a lot, Kevin. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Elaine Grunwald. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And folks, if you didn't know by now, all of these episodes are streamed live on our Crowdcast platform, where you can ask the guest questions, attend live, and be a part of the show. All you got to do is go online to realiers.com slash podcast live events and RSVP for the next interview with a real leader or just follow us on LinkedIn where we stream all of these interviews live for your enjoyment. Lastly, folks, I'd ask all of you to let me know one thing, how we can improve this show. You can either send us an email at be at real-leaders.com. That's be at real-leaders.com or leave a review. Whatever works, we just want to know one thing, folks. One thing. Let us know how we can improve this show. That's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader, and stay tuned for the next episode.